Now, tributes have been paid to former Newcastle United and Newcastle Falcons coach Steve Black, who has died at the age of 64. Black was known for his motivational skills and for mentoring the likes of Johnny Wilkinson and Danny Cipriani. He also coached for Wales Rugby Union and the British and Irish Lions. Newcastle United paid tribute, saying we are saddened to learn of the death of Steve Black, who worked with Newcastle United under Kevin Keegan during the Entertainers era and was also part of the club's backroom staff during the 2015-16 season. Our thoughts are with his family and friends, RIP Blackie. The Falcons also said they are deeply saddened to learn of the death of our friend and former colleague Steve Black. Blackie, you are a true one-off, a Falcons legend who will never be forgotten. Many individuals have also paid tribute. Alan Shearer simply wrote, awful news, RIP Blackie. Whilst Danny Cipriani said, the greatest, RIP Blackie. Former Newcastle and Sunderland striker Michael Bridges said, so upset reading this tragic news. An amazing man who had time for everyone. Took me under his wing in 1994 and trained me on Tynemouth Beach to get me fit for the start of my YTS contract at Sunderland. The world has lost a great man, husband, father and mentor. From a 16-year-old bouncer on the doors of the pubs in Newcastle to one of the most well-respected coaches in professional sport, Steve Black was a unique individual with a unique approach to coaching. As unique as his coaching practices were, so was his rise to notoriety. Working on the doors was always going to be a dangerous job and, as you can imagine, Steve found himself in one or two tricky situations over the years. Steve once said, I tried to talk people out of fighting, but if I couldn't, I'd chin them. As the word got around, fewer and fewer people would look for trouble when I was around. I had a shotgun thrust in my face more than once and it was funny back then, but looking back, I never once expected the trigger to get pulled. It was a tough world, but I was never a villain. There was a difference. I met a lot of faces and I admit some became good friends because they never did me any harm, but I never crossed that thin dividing line. I never got myself a police record. The turning point came when a man pulled a knife on him and he ended up being slung through glass doors and a bad injury happened. It was during this time that he was also pursuing a career in management by running a few local sides to great success. With his success in the local leagues and with his time on the doors coming to an end, Steve decided to make a change, so he enrolled on a sports science degree at Northumbria University and upon graduating, started working in a number of local health and fitness centres. That was before Kevin Keegan came along. The then manager of Newcastle United took a chance on him. And in an interview a number of years later, Steve said, somebody had to take a chance. Because in football, former players often prolong their careers by suddenly becoming coaches, just like that. But Kevin, Kevin broke the mould and he employed me. He had heard about me and my style. You can either do something the same way as everyone else does it, or you can do it differently. And I, I prefer to do it differently. Kevin asked me to go United on a three-month trial, but I was taken on permanently after only a week. You see, Steve had been involved with an infinite number of people throughout his career. He worked for companies such as Siemens, Northern Rock, and of course, Newcastle United, as well as a number of high-profile sporting stars such as Johnny Wilkinson, Jonathan Edwards, and Danny Cipriani. What was so unique about Steve was that no one could really define what his job title was. It seemed that he was the jack of all trades, and absolutely a master of them all. Some called him a performance coach, others a fitness and conditioning coach, but most consistently he was known as a psychologist. This without having a qualification in psychology. 
In an interview in 2019, he said, people have said it for years. What should we call you? A coach? A general manager? I'm not bothered. It's the effect I'm worried about. The philosophy here is to help. A stickler for details, Black would often make small but important changes to how teams trained and prepared. For instance, when at Newcastle United, he'd insisted that the side began their warm-ups facing towards the iconic Galloway gate end. It all formed part of his approach to get players mentally in tune to what it meant to be playing for a club as big as Newcastle. After leaving Newcastle, he moved into rugby and achieved success with Newcastle Falcons before moving into a role within Welsh rugby. His time on the Welsh coaching staff initially proved a success with players enjoying his upbeat nature. When he sees you in the corridor, he always greets you with a smile and tells you how good looking you are today. He's a brilliant motivator, said one ex-player. Head coach Graham Henry in particular thought a huge amount of him, saying, He's the most positive person I've met. One of the best human beings I've known. He'll pull himself on a limb for other people. Blackie conditions players as opposed to physically treating them. And with this, he's great because he makes the player feel good about themselves. He's at his best one-on-one. In fact, he doesn't like dealing with more than four players at a time because he's working on their minds as well as their bodies. He's a great believer in love. You've got to love your players, Graham, he kept reminding me. It's a feel-good factor coming through, which has impacted emphatically. Because of Blackie, I'm probably closer to the Welsh squad members than I was to the Auckland players from my own country. Absolutely amazing. Black's coaching methods, which have seen him work with England and rugby Welsh sides as previously described, as well as working with other top stellar names throughout his career, are built around the vital importance of team culture, togetherness and belief. What are those beliefs? Well, here are a few that jumped out at me whenever I was researching. You must specifically train at game intensity or above, as the body adapts to the speed of execution. Train to thrive in the game. Be a student of the game, Sunday to Thursday. Review, reflect, upgrade your preparation. Create habits to increase effectiveness. Planning to get beat uses up a lot of energy for little potential return. Instead, be optimistic and plan to win. Ambition over fear. And finally, my personal favourite, successful coaches are driven by ambition over the fear of failing. They are risk takers and upgrade before they need to. They expect excellence. I could probably write two or three different podcast episodes based on all of the information there is to collect about Steve's career. But I want to pick up on a few life lessons given to us by Steve's career that I think we all can learn from. Life lesson number one is to break the mould. When Kevin Keegan employed Steve, he broke the mould. He employed an ex-bouncer with no experience at work at the high level, which would certainly raise a lot of eyebrows today. But for so long, tradition has ruled the majority of thinking in youth coaching, and I guess not just youth coaching, but football and sport as a whole. And to quote from Grace Hopper, the American computer scientist, the most dangerous phrase in language is, we've always done it this way. Ex-players are employed as coaches as soon as they hang up their boots. Managers who have a track record of getting sacked constantly get re-employed. And in life in general too, where society tries to place us in boxes so that we confirm to the stereotypical views on how life should be lived. The author and ex-British number one table tennis player, Matthew Syed, wrote in his book Rebel Ideas about the negative effect of echo chambers. That is, an environment where a person only encounters information or opinions that reflect and reinforce their own. 
In that environment, no one challenges how you think because you're surrounded by people who think alike, who share similar backgrounds, ethnicities, and life experiences. An environment where the same dried up conversations echo around the room without any direction or push for change. How can that be an environment for progressive change? It just can't be. Think about it if you're you're surrounded by essentially what we call them in football, yes men. So no one's ever going to challenge how you think. No one's ever going to challenge what you say. Then you're never going to improve what you do. And I guess your practices are never going to improve. The players are never going to improve. Teams never going to improve. And you just get caught in that vicious cycle. And I guess that's what happens when you see Premier League managers jump from club to club to club without success is because they keep taking the same backroom staff with them. Well, I'm not saying that's exactly that, but a big part of it, I would believe, is because they keep taking the same backroom staff with them. They don't look for fresh change and fresh ideas. So they end up on the same boat they were two or three clubs previous. But what Keegan had seen in Blackie was that there was something different. He was someone who could literally enter a room where the echo chamber was. He would tear it apart completely. But at the same time with his knowledge, he would do it constructively and he would add value and positive change. So what does that mean for you and I? Well, I think the big lesson here is that we have to look past what a person's qualification tells us they should know or what they should behave and and who they should be and instead look at what value they can actually bring. Because I remember sitting with uh, a number of committee members from Hillsborough Boys Football Club a number of years back and they were talking about volunteer recruitment and we were going around and around in circles thinking about this person, thinking about that person. When one one of the members stood up and he said, we need to forget about looking for people who can coach and who have football at their at their core. Instead, we need to look at people who have skills and experiences that can help this club grow. We need to go and find them. And I think it's a, a perfect uh, setup. Um, in that club, they have two committees. They have a football committee. They have an operational committee. Operational committee look after the operation of the club in terms of all of the bookings and all of the finance and all the administration. And then the football side of it is done by the football committee. So that's the development, the teams, coaches, players, etc. Two separated, but both come together when they need to. But I guess the point that they were making in that meeting was that we get so fixated on, 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 on driving coaches to football clubs and we don't look outside that and say, well, actually, we need someone who can do social media. We need somebody who knows about finance and who can order things and who can fundraise and who can be a good um, secretary and who can be better at child protection and who can do this and who can do that. There's so many different jobs in a football club that we don't look outside of the football circle when this committee member was saying, we need to do that. We need to look outside someone who has, has a, an interest or has a vested interest by having their son at the club and we need to bring in that experience. And they've done that very successfully. But on the flip side and in relation to coaching, have you ever changed or have you ever challenged your processes behind designing a session? You know, why do you set a session up the way you set it up? You know, for example, and you get it quite a bit in coach education where you've got a spare player. You know, why do we have to have it even? Why do we have to have a 5v5 plus one? Why can't we have a 6v5 for 15 minutes, 6v5 the other way for 16 minute, 15 minutes, and then even it out by a 5v5 plus one for 15 minutes? So you've got one extra player, but use them in three different ways. Rather than equaling the team up the whole way, you give them challenges of underloads and overloads. And I've referenced this before a number of different times, but I was at a coaching conference a number of years back and I attended a talk by a guy called David Nusifora. At that time, he was the performance director for Irish Rugby and he presented a slide that simply said, are the traditions of your sport putting a handbrake on progress? And if you think about what traditions we have in football, I mean, the list is as long as your arm in terms of 
practices in terms of setup, in terms of words, phrases, how we use it. But recently what I've started to do is experiment with the shape and the size of my grid and how my pitch is laid out. So traditionally, for example, rondos are practiced as you see them online or you see them on TV in a square or a rectangle grid. But I would sort of question why? Why is it in the square? Why is it in that rectangle grid? Why can't we change it? So why can't we adapt it, for example, to a diamond shape? Why can't we adapt it to two interlocking triangles? That will obviously come out with different outcomes, but that depends on what your actual aim of the session is, I guess. But rather than just sticking them in a box and thinking this is how rondos are done, can we think outside the box and can we do something a little bit different to try and create a bit more curiosity around coaching? Um, and for myself, recently we've been doing a lot of work on defending in a 3-5-2, specifically looking at midfielders um, and their jobs, defending in wide positions to try and keep our wing backs on the ball side a little bit higher so that we can hit them on transition quicker. So to do that, I designed a few small-sided games where I cut the corners of the pitch off, where it directs play directly towards the goal. Um, and we keep outside areas that can be unlocked as soon as you transition. So rather than being able to move anywhere in the pitch, the pitch is designed to force players to then transition to wide areas quickly and to unlock them as quickly as possible. And I believe that that gives a better uh, desired outcome than it does just having players told they've got to play into a wide position before they can play out. So they traditionally you get players in a wide channel and they have to stay in that wide channel to get a certain amount of touches in the wide channel. Well, rather than that, let's get them involved in play, but let's get them to realize triggers by moving into areas that they can unlock once you win the ball. So that's my theory behind it. That's, again, what I've done. And what I've said on previous podcasts is that I'll probably get shot down for some of it because, it, again, it goes against the grain, but it's opinions at the end of the day. And it's just about trying to adapt things and make things different, uh, trying to break that mold, so to speak. But then additionally, you know, what sources of information are out there that can be transferred from outside the pitch to inside the pitch. So for me personally, a great resource has been the Revisionist History podcast by Malcolm Gladwell. And Gladwell is a best-selling author and a journalist for The New Yorker. But what he does is he's got a very unique way of taking a very mundane story, flipping it, flipping it on its head and providing you with lessons and narratives around it that you might never have thought of. You know, things as strange as uh, the David and Goliath story and he flips it in his head and he talks about why David was always going to win that battle and why we shouldn't be using it as a as a as a underdog event because he was prepared and had a better artillery basically to win that fight so a very very interesting character how he flips ideas how he flips stories and I think he can bring a lot from what he says into coaching um I read a lot of books on psychology smart thinking business management philosophy Again, I said this in another podcast a few weeks back, but I've got 50-something odd books in the bookcase, and I think only about three or four of them are actually directly related to coaching, and maybe only a handful, say five or six of them, have any interest in in football. But it's just my way of taking myself outside of football to try and bring in fresh ideas to it. So I would just like to finish off this segment of the podcast by letting you hear Lewis Hamilton's view on breaking the mould whenever he first joined F1, and how he then had to grow year on year in the sport to try and force his way through to make a position for himself within the sport itself but also at the table of conversations about change in the sport. 
Is he bringing? Is he gonna put like a sound system on his car? Is that what's happening here? Exactly how. But it is. like you've you've shown that you can still be yourself and be a professional racing driver at the same time. Has that been an important journey for you? It really has, and it's been really difficult to break that mold. You know, they they uh, there was this saying that you have to. This is what a racing driver does. This is how they look, and this is how they talk. And right. To break that mold has taken a long time. I've been as a, I've been here now. It's my 11th season, um, but. I think in today's world, you have to transcend. You have to do something different. You have to uh, show your uniqueness right. and um, and not shy away from that. And that's really something that I've really worked hard on. Um, and now it's accepted when I do all this traveling, which is a lot more than any other racer ever does. Right. And then they're like, "Oh, he's going to be distracted," and I turn up and I win. And then they're, they're oh well, that was good for them. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, w- one of the things that's that's really fascinating is that difference that you bring. Right, the way you dress has been one of the key things. You, you're always in the magazines for for your fashion sense, and now you've taken that to the next level. You've teamed up with Tommy Hilfiger. Okay, so moving on to our second life lesson that I feel uh, can be taken from Steve Black's story, and that is have the courage to be yourself. I mean, it's pretty evident that when you hear comments from past players and managers like we have done about Steve, that he was always being his true self all the time. He was such a happy, enthusiastic, and inspirational character that he never changed that approach. For example, former England fly half Danny Cipriani said he was an unbelievably special human being. He was all about making people better and sharing his insight with anyone and everyone that he met. Bristol Rovers manager Joey Barton described him as one in a billion and a unique character. Former Sunderland boss Peter Reid said that he was a wonderful man. I've been coaching for about 19 years, and it'll actually be 20 years on the 23rd of June this year. I first started picking up cones and was watching sessions when I was 16, and I don't know why, but I always kind of had an interest in to know why certain drills were being used or why certain rules were being used in games. And through sort of that curiosity, I guess, I've always had a reflective nature. I've always looked at how things are working, why things are working, what what could I potentially do better? And recently I reflected on my journey in in coaching and the lessons that I've learned, partly because of this podcast episode and obviously the name of it, Life Lessons from a Sideline. One of the biggest realizations I came to was that, yes, I've been coaching for, in some capacity for nearly 20 years. And I estimate in that time, I've delivered roughly 4,000 sessions, if not slightly more. But it's only probably over the last five years that I've been able to sculpt really what a coaching identity is and probably the last two to three years where I feel that I'm 100% confident in my coaching abilities and who I am, uh, which in turn allows me then to bring a true character out and to show it in the sessions with through my behaviours. Um, and I remember in 2013, I think it was, when I started publishing coaching blogs, started writing down my ideas in coaching and, and what I learned, I'd probably be well, I would definitely describe myself as being very steadfast in my defense of my writings if anybody ever attacked them or ever questioned them and definitely about my coaching methods because at that time I thought I'd all figured out um, and as time's gone on I, I guess I read back and I'm proud of the fact that I had the confidence to publish that stuff and to get out in the open because a lot of it was about my experiences and it wasn't really read from a book it was just kind of taking information from around it and adding it to my experiences but I realized probably back then I was trying to be somebody who I wasn't trying to be that expert coach, trying to be that coaching sort of guru. Um, And listen, I know that there's probably some people who listen to this podcast who who don't listen to this podcast, uh, but they'll still see it promoted on social media. 
who kind of think, well, who does he think he is? And well, I don't want to leave you with any doubt with that question, but what I am now is someone who can take criticism, someone who can accept not being liked, um, but overall someone who, who looks for constant improvement. And I guess in many ways that, that confidence of knowing where I am, what I believe in now, um, comes from making all the mistakes that you can possibly imagine making, uh, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't work. And I've got to the point now where even if I do try something and it fails, I won't be embarrassed about it because at the very early stages of your coaching career, you want to make everything perfect. You want to have the perfect session. You want to make sure that the, the session runs um, smoothly. You, you want to transition from grid to grid. You want to get your coaching points on on point. At the very start, I guess you you look at your session plans and you spend a lot of time planning your session, making sure the color coordinated, making sure you've got all your coaching points in. But I guess as time goes on, you learn little tricks to to be able to bank some of that information in your head so that when you do write your, your session plans, maybe they come in shorthand like they certainly do with me. But I still put enough thought in them to make sure that they are appropriate for what I want and what I want to get out. But I guess with being yourself and with trying to find out who you are, um, the process that I went through anyway by looking at other coaches, looking at not just coaches that you see online, but coaches that you work with, picking things up, not necessarily what you would just do, but also things that you, you wouldn't do. Um, like my team talks in the changing room and my attitude and my behavior around that. Yes, it's been informed by readings, but it's also formed by, by experience and by seeing other people and thinking, well, I don't think I'd approach that situation that way. So I'll do it differently next time. If it was myself doing that, I wouldn't do this. Um, and that's a constant process for me, a constant reflection process for me to think, well, what can I pick up? Who can I pick things up from? And, um, I guess that's, that comes back to being confident, um, in, in who, who I think I am as a coach. And, uh, and that all sort of breaks into, or sorry, builds into the, the break in the mold piece where I now have the confidence because of who I am and what I believe to then go and break the mold to try these different things and to try and, and look at the game slightly differently, look at training sessions slightly differently, look at coaching slightly differently, how we build connections, how we connect with players. Um, and everything else that's encapsulated by that. But I want to just move swiftly on towards the end of the podcast now. And before we heard about Sir Lewis Hamilton's ideas on breaking the mold, and I'm not too sure why this is, but it seems that F1 drivers are quite philosophical thinkers. And I want you to listen to this little piece by Ayrton Senna talking about being himself, uh, as well as bringing this section to the end of the podcast. It also, I think does a really good job of tying everything together what we've just spoken about in this section the main thing is to be yourself and not allow people to disturb you to be different because they want you to be different you gotta be yourself many times it's through a mistake due to your own personality or your own, your own character or interference that you get on the way that you learn and the main thing is to make sure you learn through your mistakes and get better I believe in the ability of focusing strongly in something then you're able to extract even more out of it now it would be remiss of me to not finish this podcast without letting you hear the inspirational words of Steve Black from the man himself This is taken from a behind-the-scenes video of his time at Fleetwood and allows you to paint pictures of this very unique individual. But I guess the 
biggest thing that jumped out to me and what I would like you to get out of this is to listen to how genuine he sounds. Listen to his passion, listen to his enthusiasm. Can you imagine how that would make you feel if you were a player or a coach working with him? So my question is, why not try to be a little bit more like Steve Black the next time you interact with your players, with your colleague, with your friend, or with your staff member? Just close your eyes again when we do this. In your mind now, congratulate yourself for how you're going to behave tomorrow. Be proud of the man that you are. Be proud of the man that you're becoming. Be proud of this gang that we've got. You okay, mate? Yeah, good. Good night. Hey, lads, I'm available for selection this afternoon for intimate chat. If you want, as relationships develop, we might do some wrestling. <laughs> Don't know where. Don't know where. Enjoy that movement, lads. Huh? Really enjoy that movement. Wow. Terrific. Terrific. Oh. If anything goes wrong at any time, forget it. Wipe the slave clean. You're all good players. All I want you to keep remembering is how good a player you are. Because that being a good player in this group of people is going to get us promoted. When you're on and you're open, full of energy, you're a handful. So you've got to believe you can. Yeah. It's strange enough, if you think you can, you will. Great stuff, Stevie. You're loving this, aren't you? Yeah, of course. Right. I'm, I'm, can I tell you, I'm loving watching you work. Oh, Seriously, I'm really loving watching you work. Really loving it. You love the game. Yeah. You're totally in control of the situation, trying to get them to play good football. They really respect you because when you call them, you're calling for a reason. Yeah? yeah I'm thinking class. Oh, Are you joining them then? Come on, Joe, lad. 